Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Our guest today is the incredible athlete Nick Butter, who is the first and only person to run a marathon in every country in the world. Nick is now also an author, a motivational speaker. I am absolutely delighted that he joins us today. So welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you very much, Raj, for having me on. I'm uh, I'm honored. No, I'm looking forward to chat with you. Thank you, Nick. So let's start with uh, you sharing uh, a little bit of your uh, athletic background and uh, how that evolved, how, how you got into running and especially, you know, marathon running. So over to you, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, I I guess for me, sport was already always something that um, I was better at than academia. <laughs> so in school, it was uh, it was always more enjoyable to be outside. Um, whether that was kicking a football, which I'm rubbish at football, but it was better than being in the classroom. Um, and then you know from there it goes into running, and I think most sports involve running of some sort because it's a way of a way of keeping keeping fit. Um, and so I got into running quite young. When I was 11, I did some really decent distances. Um, and and I loved it. And then later on in life, I got into uh, into skiing specifically. I was an absolute skiing nerd, I suppose. I loved skiing. Um, and so I joined the, the under-19s uh, snow sports England team. And I and I was that was my life. I wanted to be in the Olympics. I wanted to be a skier. And so if you ask all of my friends, uh, that I went to school with, you know, it's not Nick the runner, it's Nick the skier. And so skiing was such a big passion of mine before running. Um, and then and then later on in life, I got a real job. Um, and I guess I needed to have running as a bit of an escape to, uh, to kind of act as therapy. I think a lot of people use running as that kind of mental booster. Uh, and so I did. And, and I eventually got a little bit better at running. And then what now skip ahead several years and well, about a decade, I think, actually. And I'm now, uh, what, I've done 828 marathons and I've ran just over wow. 45,000 miles. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, what what inspired you to think of this um, incredible, mind-boggling project? I mean, just take us through uh, what happened uh, in the beginning. And I'm sure it took, uh, you know, quite a considerable time of planning before you even took your first step uh, in early 2018 uh, before you started this uh, uh, you know running the world journey so what was the original inspiration so yeah so it, it absolutely right it took a long long time to get to the start line we you know it took 2 years of planning um before we we left on yeah it was January the 6th 2018 so it was feels like just yesterday but uh, it was obviously a few years ago <laughs> Um, and so th the reason why this journey came about was to raise some money for Prostate Cancer UK. Now, when I was running, a, I did lots of races back in the day, and I, I did lots of endurance like ultra events all over the world, very long distance events. And one of them was out in the Sahara Desert in Morocco. And there was a seven day race. Many of your listeners will know it's called Marathon de Saab, and it's a, yes. a brutally hot race, very sandy, very just horrible in many ways. But the beauty of that journey, I think most people enjoy it because of the camaraderie and the people that you meet uh, in that race. So there's about a thousand people that take part, and there's hundreds of tents with about uh, eight people per tent. 
And I was one of one person in that tent. And one of my tent mates was a guy called Kevin. He was uh, 50 years old at the time. And he was just this tall chap, bald, kind of very friendly, over-enthusiastic. And I just thought, what what is it with this guy that's, you know, he's very happy. Um, and we got chatting and he he told me that very sadly, he had terminal prostate cancer. And oh. that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. You know, he was happy and he was running with me in the desert. And so I thought that that was a bit of a shock. Um, and And then we got chatting some more. And I realized the reason why he was so happy is that he understood the value of life. He understood how precious life is and how short it is. And so, you know, he was told he would only live for potentially only two years. Um, okay. And so he was out filling his bucket list with all the things he wanted to do. And one of the things was was do this race out in the Sahara Desert, the Marathon of the Saab. And so we were chatting. And then he said something to me which stuck in my mind. And I've spoken about it before. And I think I will forever talk about it because it's so profound. Coming from a man that is diagnosed with only two years left to live, he said to me, don't wait for a diagnosis. Don't wait for something <laughs> in your world to kick you up the backside to make you follow your dreams. Do it now before it's too late. And so that's exactly what I did. You know, he said those words to me. I came back from the desert. I sat down, did some planning. I gave him a call and said, I want to I want to raise some money for the charity that's the prominent charity in the UK, Prostate Cancer UK. Um, and and I want to I want to basically follow your advice. I want to go and do what you've told me to do. Uh, and so I love meeting people. I love traveling. I love running. And I wanted to see the world. And so we we eventually ended up Googling, you know, has anybody ran a marathon in every country in the world? And amazingly, they hadn't. And I was shocked. You know, we've put people on the moon and yet we haven't, you haven't done this yet. And so I thought, well, why? Uh, and I now realize why it's very difficult uh, and it's quite expensive and it takes a lot of time to plan. And obviously there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, but yeah, that's the story of, I guess, being inspired by that guy that is now my very, very good friend. And amazingly, he is still with us. He is still alive. And not only that, but he is, is, he is still sadly dying, but he is, he is in, a, in great shape, all things considered. Um, and yeah, he changed my life. And I think I now want to be the voice of, of other people to try and um, promote that attitude of, of following your dreams before it's too late. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite an inspiring, uh, inspiring story. Uh, and I, I really hope, uh, you know, listeners, even as early as this in, the, in our discussion, starts getting inspired to not not wait yeah. for the bell to ring, so to speak, before yeah. they start doing things that they really want to do. So uh, so t- tell me something, which is, uh, I mean, we will go through uh, a number of these points, but what were some of the initial challenges that you faced? Okay, you, you decided to do this uh, incredible project, as you said, nobody has done it. So there isn't, it's not like there was a blueprint for you to rely upon. So yeah. what were some of the initial challenges that you faced? So there was lots of challenges. <laughs> um, we first of all we had to find out how many countries there were in the world because okay. that was disputed and it's changing all the time. So we had to actually settle on a number. We then had to agree with Guinness World Records what you know how to achieve the world record and and what the rules were. Um, we then had to work out the route. We had to understand where I was going to go first, which countries I was going to do last and what problems there would be with the weather because the weather was something that um, that caused us 
a big problem in the planning. Um, so, so that those were two big ones. And then I suppose the elephant in the room is funding. You know how how we go about funding a trip of of such length. Um, and I didn't have all the money to spend, but I put everything I had into it. And then it was a matter of relying on friends and family and sponsors and donors to to try and put some money in the pot in order to make it possible. But if we were going to do that, we had to make sure that we were also going to raise a decent amount of, of money for the charity. So that was quite difficult. Um, so the route, the countries, the funding, I think that took up about nine months of effort. Um, and it, I know it sounds a bit silly, but even just linking up countries, even without running, <laughs> linking up country A to country B to country C, and then thinking about all the stuff that could go wrong and if I take clothes for hot weather and then it's cold, what does that mean? And so we then settled on an idea of let's try and go to the extreme temperatures in order to make sure that we know what the weather is going to be like. And so that, again, wasn't straightforward. Um, and then you have things like visas and logistics of, of going from different countries and having to make sure that you have enough visas. And being British, I'm fortunate in the sense that we could, before Brexit, I suppose, go elsewhere quite easily. But then still, I still had to have 90 plus visas. And they all had to be in my passport at the right time. Uh, and I had to have those passports with me. And so there was a lot of logistical juggling with how many passports I needed. So there's that. Um, I mean, I could carry on. And then you've got safety concerns, you've got food, you've got um, your trainers wearing down and getting new trainers sent out to you. So as you can tell, I could carry on for weeks about all the problems we had, but I think they're the, they're the main points of, of, of how we went about planning. Okay. So uh, in, in all of this, once you, uh, you know, got some of these things organized, uh, was logistics eventually the biggest hurdle you started uh, facing once you started the race? I mean, you can do all the planning in the world, I suppose, uh, especially for yeah. a mission like this. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, things would crop up as you go along. Uh, so just just take us through some of the further logistical challenges that uh, that you faced. Yeah, that's very true. So we, we, we did, logistics was the most difficult because you go from, so even on day one, when I left my home and I drove to the airport, uh, and I was flying to Canada, which was country number one in Toronto. Um, and I, I I got to the airport and the only accident, the only aviation accident in airports that was going on around the world that, that we knew about was in Canada, the very airport that I was about to fly to. And that was kind of a, a marker of how much was going to go wrong. <laughs> you know, we thought that we might need about 220 flights to get us around the world to these countries. And in the end, wow. it took 455 in total. Um, and that shows you how much went wrong. We had 80 plus, was it 60 plus flights that were cancelled? Um, and that meant that we then had to change our routes. You know, if you've got a plan to go from A to Z, from all these different places, you then have to make sure that something is affecting something else and that it's not going to cause you problems or more cost or all that sort of stuff. And so that happened. And then along the way, I then had my own physical challenges. I was always chased by dogs. I was attacked by dogs several times. And while dogs are fine, I love dogs, but if they bite you and you're a runner, that's a problem. <laughs> um, and so we had to think about 
what I needed to do with with things like rabies injections and all those sort of vaccination sides to make sure that I wasn't going to A, get ill and B, I would have the right stuff at the right time. And so I did get bitten. I got bitten in northern Africa um, by a dog and that caused some onward delays and we had to then move things around. I then also had food poisoning quite a lot. I had I had 22 different bouts of food poisoning. Um, cool. and And that's not enjoyable when you have to run. Um, I actually had food poisoning before I arrived in India, actually. Um, and then it carried on <laughs> after that. And I then had, because I was ill, I wasn't taking in enough fluid. Um, and then my kidneys started to suffer. And then I started to uh, to pee blood when I went for a wee. And, and that means that basically my body is just run down. And so there was these really severe physical problems that I was experiencing, not once or twice or not 10 times, but 22 times throughout the trip that I had to overcome. Um, and then you've got the basics of food. You know, even if the food I'm eating is not going to make me ill, how am I getting in enough food? Because I'm running so often. I was doing three marathons in three different countries every week for 96 weeks. And so that meant that I would sometimes have to substitute. And it became a habit, actually, of deciding whether or not I would have a, a good night's sleep or whether I would go and find somewhere to eat. You know, I was, do I have the time to eat or do I have the time to sleep? And usually for most people, you have both. <laughs> um, and I had to kind of pick and choose what that was. What that was. So that was very difficult. Um, and then there was also the, the violence in countries where lots of countries are you know, politically unstable or you have some volatility with, uh, with different fractions of the government or, or war kind of breaking out. And so we had to think about the safety, but then you also have to think about the uh, the cultural changes within each country. And do I have to be, you know, do I have to cover up in a particular country? Do I have to not wear shorts? Do I have to think about what kind of hand signals I'm using? Um, because that could get me into trouble. Um, and if I get into trouble, then okay, it was obviously not an act; it was an accident, and so that's not my fault. But it would also delay me and cause offence to people. So there was those kind of sides of things which I just didn't consider before I left. Um, so I had I had a couple of horrible incidents where I was uh, I was mugged. I was actually mugged at, at knife point and at gunpoint, um, oh. and that was in, in Africa. And that was just scary. And I mean, scary in the moment, but also scary because I then had lots of other countries still to go to, and I didn't want it to happen again or happen worse. Um, and so I think it took quite a lot of a, a psychological battle to keep going from one place to the other. You know, the, the actual running side of it was, was I wouldn't say easy, but less difficult in comparison because I knew I could run a marathon. I just had to be well enough in the right place at the right time, have the right safety around me, know the route that I'm going to, not get lost, <laughs> and then finish it in time to go to the next place. So it was just a bit of a, a chaotic like you know, it took me 674 days to finish the whole world, um, which is pretty quick, but it's still a long time. Absolutely. I mean, to run 196 marathon in that period of time is uh, it's just incredible, even if you are doing it in a, in a much more limited number of uh, places. So yeah. add to that 196 uh, countries and with all the logistical challenges that you mentioned, plus the physical uh, and I'm sure the mental stress at various points. So uh, tell us, uh, I mean, I'm sure you didn't probably go with uh, uh, an expectation about each and every place that you went to, but what, which countries uh, kind of surprised you the most, whether positively or negatively, 
Uh, yeah. uh, so just take us through that. Uh, uh, some some interesting anecdotes or interesting experiences in terms of what you actually experienced and what you uh, what you thought yeah. you will experience and what you experienced. Yeah, that's yeah. I think yeah. I think you touched on that quite well. There, it's it's what I thought I would experience. That most of the time I was completely wrong. Um, and you say, you know, even the countries that I'd never heard of, by the time I planned the trip and by the time I landed in the country, I already had a preconceived idea about what I would be expecting or experiencing. So as an example, you have places like the Caribbean, beautiful tropical places, golden beaches, and that's what you expect. And actually, what I experienced was for my first few tropical islands was just thunderstorms and lightning and rain. <laughs> and so okay. on, on the very basic terms, just the weather can catch your, your, your preconceptions out. And then you've got uh, things like the friendliness of places. So I also discovered that there was this real correlation between some countries that were, were poorer than others and the correlation between the amount of friendliness I had. And so when I was running in the likes of Central Africa, where there's lots of poor nations and they don't have much to give, they were the ones that were giving the most. They were waving. They were cheering me on. It was the most incredible experience because I just didn't expect it. And then on the other hand, in in Northern Europe, in the likes of Scandinavia, where they're very well off, where they are used to seeing people uh, like me running around the country, and they just ignore me. And so it felt very isolating and uh, and lonely in, in times up, up in those parts of the world because there wasn't the support. And it was, again, the opposite of what I was expecting. So, so those are, are some classic examples. And then the other side is, is the beauty of the world that I truly didn't have any understanding of. And no matter how many pictures, no matter how many books you read, no matter how much Googling you do, you can never be prepared for how dynamic and beautiful and enriching the world is and whether that's smells colors landscapes clouds people's smiles the the world is truly truly wonderful and so i think that was the biggest shock of all is that there was just the world is so innately friendly um and i think it really caught me by surprise and it taught me a big lesson that in the media we're often used to seeing a lot of negativity and we get shown all of the bad stuff that goes on um but for me i was constantly amazed by how many people came out and ran with me you know i had in el salvador i had a thousand people come and run with me um in uh in central asia as well i just had hundreds of people coming and running with me just just joining me on the street and it felt like i was the luckiest person in the world and that's not how i expected the the trip to be i expected people to want to be involved but i didn't realize they would just want to be involved for the sake of you know encouraging me and being there so i learned a great deal about mankind and and i think that's the best bit about travel is that you see the the best and the worst but by by far you see the best in humanity by by traveling and, and seeing so much of the world. Okay, so maybe the next two questions we'll uh, dive a little d- deeper into you know the, the points that you touched upon uh, now, which is mm. uh, just share with us some of the best runs that you had in a little more uh, little more detail, whether it is in terms of friendliness of people or scenery or w- what have you. Yeah, 
gosh, where do I start? There's so many places that, so we, you know, on my run, sometimes because I, I chose to run non-official marathons, I tried to run places where people could come and join me whenever they wanted to, they could come and run for five miles and then go to work or something like that. And so, I mean, I could literally state every single country in the world because I did have amazing experiences in all of them. But sure. I think El, El Salvador that I mentioned was brilliant because I wasn't expecting so many people. I then had an amazing experience in Guatemala. Uh, I ran okay. around a, an erupting volcano in Guatemala um, and I happened to meet people there just by coincidence at the hotel that wanted to run with me. And we went out and we ran and then we kept in touch. And amazingly now, some of the nonprofit uh, charities that I've created um, to try and help the rest of the world. Some of those people I met out in Guatemala have now since joined my foundation and are, are, are part of it. And so we are friendly. We've ran all over the world together. Um, and I made true friends in, in Guatemala. Um, the same goes for places like Sierra Leone, Central Africa, where it was once one of the, the, the poorest countries in the world and, and very much still is. I visited uh, a children's hospital um, and... I experienced such heartache and we had lots of tears and and, and, you know, and crying and just sadness there. But it, it was one of my most memorable for the right reasons because I it put everything into context for me. So I think that's another thing about running is that running was my mode of transport, but everything else I saw along the way was the journey, you know, and, and whether it would be in, in Panama is another example. I went into a, a cancer rehabilitation center where people were um, – were being treated for uh, for chemo- chemotherapy. And so I went into the ward and it was all very sad and people were sitting there with drips in their arm having this chemotherapy. But it was the most uplifting thing to see the positivity coming from these people in those positions. And so we ran around the world experiencing all of this love and joy. Um, so thinking about other places in the world, Nepal, uh, I had the most amazing time in Nepal running in the mountains. Same in Kazakhstan. The the canyon I ran through in Kazakhstan is just stunning. Uh, I stayed in uh, an amazing compound in Somalia. Um, I had a great time in, uh, in, uh, in India and in Bangladesh. Um, I, was, I was ill for both of them. But the people, again, made it so memorable. The people that I ran with were just were just fantastic. Um, and I, I think I, I've come away from the whole journey feeling like I'm indebted to everyone around the world because I've just had so much friendliness given to me. So, again, the other side of the coin is those, those, those scary moments. I had a – in Namibia, I was running and I had a, a very close call with a, with a cheetah, um, uh, a wild cheetah oh. that – potentially could could uh could cause me some damage unfortunately i got away without any problems but that was pretty pretty scary uh and then as i said in nepal we were running up through these forests and they were covered in leeches and so we had to be careful there um in hong kong i ran ran through a huge electrical storm with lightning going off every few minutes um and so it was just a uh a compound effect of one country after another delivering these most amazing memories uh and whether it was something special like i say like guatemala or whether it was just a stunning mountain like in kazakhstan or the peacefulness of bhutan uh, or the busyness of 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 tokyo all of those have equal worth um i think if i could change anything on my journey i would ask the weather to kind of kind of dial down the humidity (laughs) humidity was a killer (laughs) 
Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review, like for example, CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast related updates on Instagram at the handle runningandfitnesswithraj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, it kind of leads to my next question, which is that, uh, you know, you have had obviously setbacks like you ran 22 marathons when you were suffering from food poisoning, three yeah. with a kidney infection, you had a dog bite. You also yeah. ran in Africa in, you know, in especially high temperatures, many marathons, right? So yeah. um, share, share with us some of the some of those uh, those uh, ch- mm. challenges uh, when yeah. uh, clearly your body uh, is not. Uh, you know, in a shape where it should be running a marathon, but you know, you had to go through it uh, because you have mm. embarked on this journey. Yeah, I think that that was something that I knew that was kind of my only responsibility. It was to get from country to country, but whatever happened, get the marathon done. You know, whether I've been bitten by a dog, whether I was mugged at knife point, whether I was mugged at gunpoint, whether I was being shot at somewhere, whether I was ill somewhere, the the mission was finish the marathon. And so I had, like you say, temperature was a big issue. The, the coldest temperature I experienced was minus 25 degrees C in, in Toronto, in Canada, which was very cold, but it was also my first country. <laughs> and so I was a yep. bit of shock. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be so cold. And I thought, right, what, what have I got myself into? Uh, and, then, and then the hottest end of the spectrum was plus 59 degrees C, plus 60, basically, in, uh, in Q8. Uh, and that was incredibly, incredibly dry, and just you, nobody's outside. You literally see nobody, nobody with when you're there, um, running through this empty metropolis of a city without anybody outside because it's too hot. Um, and so you then have the the other end of the the spectrum where you're not trying to keep warm or not trying to kind of cool down at all, but you have things like traffic. Um, I suppose you experienced this in India. Traffic was Absolutely. a real, real problem, real, real problem. Like just running around a city that didn't seem to have any ob- obvious problems. The the traffic was a real, and I got hit by a car in Chad in Africa, um, and it was it was quite a an eye opener to be really careful of of going from the right, you know, going to the right place and, and and not stepping out in the traffic. And I can't believe I managed to do all of those trips with only one incident. You know, I was I was knocked to the floor a few times by a couple of bonnets and bumpers, but um all in all I, I got away with it. Um so I was very, very, very pleased to do that. Um and again, the other side of my life on the road, which which was I think you've alluded to is that you know getting out of bed in the morning when you don't want to when your body is run down i guess I guess that is a mental thing you know people say to me well, how how did you stay motivated when you were ill? Why didn't you just stop and you know carry on when you were better the The simple answer was 
we were obviously invested to make sure we were doing it the quickest, but also every extra day, if I had one extra day per country, that would accumulate to an extra six months on the journey. And therefore, a lot more money spent, a lot more time. And so we, you know, there was that big pressure hanging over me. And a lot of people would say to me, well, as you're getting close to the end of the trip, then it's obviously going to be easier. You must be really excited. And actually, it was the opposite because I got more and more stressed as I got towards the end because I didn't want it to fail. You know, we've done so many. It's not, you know, I can't finish having done 190 countries out of 196. I've got to do all of them. And so... It was it was pretty yeah pretty stressful to get to them but like I say the the physical side of stuff I was so trained and so ready to give it a go that with Kevin's words in my ears and then understanding that the beauty of the world and how lucky I am how privileged I am that I couldn't give up at any point because the alternative is much worse you know do I just give up and then go and have a get a proper job and not not travel around the world no I don't want to do that so um, there was no uh, there was no chance, no, no way I was going to stop. Okay. Now, uh, when you chose the actual routes for uh, uh, the marathons, I mean, in some countries, obviously, you ran in prearranged uh, races, but I suspect the vast majority of races uh, were either put together specifically for you or, you know, as, as you mentioned, like in places like Kuwait, you pretty much uh, ran alone. Uh, mm-hmm. So how, da- how did that actually, how did that actually w- uh, work out? Yeah, so so I we made the decision that if we were going to run official marathons, the journey, the whole trip would take so much longer because you'd have to be there early and get your race number and get to the start line on time, and I'd I'd have all of my my trip dictated to by race dates and times, and also I'd already done several hundreds of marathons, organized events, and so I didn't necessarily have an interest in doing those and so i imagined that i would be going around every country and that a few people would join me um and i'd organize my own route and then that would be that but as the as the journey progressed people were getting wind of what i was doing through mainstream media through facebook instagram twitter Uh, we were reaching out to some running clubs to some embassies to say that we're going to be there and then before i know it I've got people meeting me at the airport. We have full press conferences with the media. We have media crews following us on the runs. We have races, routes set up for us. So all I have to do is is wake up, go and meet them, and then they, they show me the run. And in some instances, just like El Salvador, I had medals, uh, medals made for us with everybody that was running. We had trophies. We had uh, aid stations set up for water and, uh, and food, hydration and nutrition. Um, and uh, it just snowballed into uh, everywhere I was going, more or less. There were people that were there to help with the route, to help with supplies, and to help take photos and stuff. So it turned into the perfect situation where I wasn't doing a particular perfect race, but I was actually having races organized for me. Um, and so I was also, you know, it was also flexible to do that. So I have to say, like I've said a few times, I'm I'm so so grateful for all of those people that have helped to do that because it made the journey what it was. You know, it's just countless people that 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 made it brilliant. Okay, and how many races do you remember where you ended up running just all by yourself, like in Kuwait? Um, how many races did I do that by myself? Um, I want to say about very very few, I suspect. Yeah, not very many. I'd say between between ten and fifteen percent, maybe. Really, not very many. Um, because even if I started the run on my own, I'd soon have people that would then come and run with me. 
Um, there was very few people that ran the entire marathon with me. Um, that wasn't very common at all um, because they'd either have to go to work or it would be the you know it would be in in the week or they'd have to go somewhere else. But uh, or maybe they just weren't fit enough or didn't want to do a whole marathon. But that didn't matter because people would then take over their position and I'd have people to chat to again. So so yeah, not not very many. Okay. And, uh, you know, just to come back to an earlier point that, you know, uh, where, you know, some countries there are conflicts going, some countries for uh, political reasons have issues. If you have traveled to a particular country, then to get a visa for another country yeah. uh, is it's going to be uh, difficult. And I, I remember listening to you in one of your earlier interviews that uh, you particularly faced this towards the end, uh, you know. So can you mm -hmm. just uh, share, share that uh, with us? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. We took a decision to, to keep a lot of the um, dangerous countries or the countries with uh, volatility till the end of the trip. And the reason for that was, number one, we hadn't organized everything by the time I left. So there was still some question marks around how I was going to get access to some of these countries. And then even if I got access to them, there was still some question marks around, was I able to run a safe marathon? Uh, and so we, we kept a lot of those to the end. Now, in hindsight, what we probably should have done is done some of those at the beginning because putting them at the end made it very stressful to think, well, we've done all the easy bits. Now all we have to do is, you know, a, a couple of dozen hard ones. And that was when I was you know, least ready to do so. Um, but the, so as an example, um, the likes of Syria, uh, Yemen, Libya, uh, Iran, uh, there's a few others in there as well. Uh, Israel as well was quite difficult with passports and logistics. Um, and so we kept a lot of those to the end. And uh, for example, Syria, it took a, a connection of 24 different people that was in my kind of friendship or my network of, of people that were trying to fix things for me. It took 24 different people to organize the route in and out of Syria uh, via Beirut and how to run safely in the country. And then just a few days before I arrived, uh, the driver that was supposed to be taking me over the border was very sadly shot and killed um, before I got oh, yeah. there. He was he was on the, the same journey that I was going down, and obviously that's incredibly sad. And we were then thinking, well, what on earth are we going to do? And and this was so close to the end of the trip. I'd already been away for 600 and something days, and we were really, really close to the finish line, and we didn't have all of the visas completed. And that's when the connections that I'd made throughout the rest of the trip came into fruition, and they supported by uh, contacting embassies, contacting taxi companies, travel companies, anybody and anybody we could find to try and make sure that our connections in and out of places were possible and, of course, safe. Um, so, again, the same things happened with, with last-minute problems when we went into Yemen via uh, Oman. Uh, that was also an overland crossing in the middle of the night. And uh, to my horror, we were stopped at the border by by police uh, with pretty big guns and some big dogs, and they all kind of hauled us out of the car because um, the guy that was driving the car was was trying to smuggle in goods into the country. And oh you know, that was very scary because had that happened and they locked me up, you know, the British government have no responsibility to come and get me. Uh, and so it was it was frightening. Um, and I guess that's that's why we we left them to the end ultimately because I, I wanted to at least see the world before I get a chance of being locked up. <laughs> it was uh, 
it was very easy to just think, oh, it's all going to be okay. But I think had I started with those with those difficult countries, you're looking on the on the the other side of the coin, on the flip side, is is that I would have been too scared to carry on to so many of the other countries because of the issues I'd faced there. So starting off slowly with the easier countries was definitely the right decision to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now you did 195 countries and you finished your race in Athens and you actually ran it with Kevin. Uh, it must have been a extremely emotional uh, moment uh, for you, right? I mean, just take us through, take us through that. Yes, that was a very emotional time. Well, considering that when I met him, you know, between meeting him and leaving, his diagnosis was two years. It took me two years to plan. And so by the time we left, you know, technically he wasn't uh, wasn't going to be alive by the time I left. And not only was he alive, but then he was fit enough to keep training and running and doing these expeditions all over the world and having a great time doing so. He then we then managed to work out uh, a way for him to come and run the final marathon with me in Athens. Um, him, you know, just my feet touching like Greek soil and getting there and, and being so close to the end was very exciting in itself. That felt like a big milestone. And then meeting Kevin when he finally got to the, the hotel, um, having traveled from the UK. Uh, and then, and then we were there, we were, we were ready to run together and then you have all the, the emotions of, you know, my final race. You have lots of friends and family there with you. Um, and then Kevin and I chat. We cry, we laugh, we sing, we reminisce about moments. We we just had the most amazing race. And the race I don't remember at all because it was all based on conversations with people. It just flew by. Um, and then before I know it, we're crossing the finish line uh, with Kevin hand in hand with all of my friends around me. Uh, my family and my loved ones, the other side of the finish line, waiting for me to finish. And it was quite a, a weird moment because I was so in the habit of running from one country to the next that I it just felt like another finish line immediately. I was like, right, okay, well, let's go and get our bags packed and get onto the next one. And then when you realize you ran out of countries, literally ran out of countries, I have no way of going to anywhere else. And so that's it. And so then it was quite sad that, you know, this trip is over. Um, but I think the elation of having Kevin there with me at the finish line was was probably one of the proudest moments of my life and something that I will never, never forget. It was, uh, we did it. You know, I just can't, I remember saying over and over again, we did it, we did it. Um, and those closest to the journey will, will know uh, just how hard it was in terms of logistics and how close it came to not happening. So, yeah, that finish line was was absolutely magical, spectacular. Wonderful! What a what an inspiration! What an inspiration you are, Nick. Mm. So, uh, so I know you just said that you know when you finished the race, you know you probably felt a little bit of emptiness because now there are no more countries or no more challenges, at least in this particular in this particular endeavor to go to. But it's not like you sat still, right? You went ahead and uh, published <laughs> this book, Running the World. Uh, so what what was the motivation behind it and just talk us through uh, talk us a bit through the book yeah yeah thanks yeah so the book the book i guess is a uh a document which accounts for all of the experiences i had and i hope that the book is going to inspire other people to do their equivalent of running the world you know go out and and challenge yourself to something that you think you know nothing about and that you don't know if it's even possible to do 
but go after it anyway, and then stick with it until you make it happen. And so the book, it's called Running the World, and it is my running adventure, but it's not specifically about running. It's about it's about travel, it's about passion, it's about changing perspectives of the world, it's about learning and educating yourself. Um, and I guess it's it's just this journal of my experience, everything from the planning stages. There's a few bits in there about my childhood and the people that have influenced me and the power of having the right people around you in order to encourage you and to achieve your dreams and focusing on positivity. But it's in the whole, it's a, it's a collection of, of anecdotes from my journey. Every single country is talked about and we then, we then get to the finish line and, and, and that's the elation that we feel. But it was a very big book when I wrote it. It was about 300,000 words. And then together with the publishers, we whittled it down to the very best bits and the worst bits, I suppose, of the whole journey. And so it gives you the highs and the lows of the journey. Um, and I hope that by people reading it and sharing it, that more more of the world will go out there and spend a little bit of time outside of their comfort zone doing stuff that maybe they were afraid to do but they can see that it, you know, something that seems impossible can be possible with with a lot of effort and a lot of great people around you. Um, so there's so there's that, and then the other angle is that I want people to to go and be healthy and to get themselves checked for prostate cancer. Um, and you know, if you're a man and you're over forty years old, you need to get checked all the time regularly. Um, and if you're not a man and you're not over forty years old, then the chances are you know somebody who is, and so you can actually promote them. You know, promote them getting getting better that way. Um, and so the book is is also about remembering how precious life is and how short short our time on the planet is. So, so yeah, I hope the book. I hope the book keeps you know keeps selling and keep people keep reading it and enjoying it. Uh, I'm just looking forward to. I guess I suppose writing the next one on you know on another adventure, um, and that's what I'll be doing. I'll just keep keep progressing and doing one expedition after the other, following my dreams and until my time's up. I suppose that's the idea. Wonderful. So, I mean, in fact, that was going to be my next question, uh, which is, what are your plans for twenty twenty one and beyond? Yeah, plans for this year. We've got. We've got a lot on. So we have um, a, a little speaking tour at the end of the year. So the last 90 days of the year, I'm going to be going around the UK and some places in the rest of the world to share my journey. So that's a couple of hours, me talking about my experiences with some videos and some photos thrown in and a chance for people to meet me and do some book signings and stuff. So that, that that's kind of a, a little bit to do with running the world that's happening this year. But I'm also going off and doing my own trips. I've just run... I just finished running north to south of Italy. Um, so we did 100 marathons in 100 days. So that was great. And we're going to do a similar thing where I go and run north to south of New Zealand. We're going to run north okay. to south of Malawi. Uh, we're going to run around. So we're going to circumnavigate Iceland and circumnavigate Bali. Um, and then I'm considering some other, tri other trips in other places uh, later on in the years. Uh, and then a, a massive journey, which I've hinted at a few times, but I can't talk about too much just yet, um, in 2023, sure. which is going to be my my big, big mission, which is going to be bigger than ever. Um, and I'm pretty scared about it, but I think it's also going to be the defining moment of my endurance career. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Basically, more of the same, more doing good, involving the environment and helping some good causes along the way. Uh, so, yeah, I think if everybody can kind of do similar stuff you know follow your dreams and do good in the process then the world will will kind of smile with you 
Excellent. So, Nick, um, what's the best way to uh, keep in touch with you? Uh, some of the listeners may want to uh, join up, contribute to the charities you are supporting. Uh, yeah. So, just, just I mean, I will link all of this, uh, the link to your websites and obviously the book and all of that in my show notes. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah. just just hear, hearing you talk about it will be very helpful. Yes, sure. Um, I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is either through my website or Instagram. So my website is uh, nickbutter.com, nickbutter.com, or on Instagram, which is nickbutterrun. And so just send me a a direct message and just say hello. And I'm always looking for people to come and and run with me. And potentially, I don't know when this is going to be, but potentially I can can orchestrate a run through India and we can just... You can reach out again, Raj, and we can organize a, a collection of people. So if I get enough people that are interested in doing something like that, then we can start to make that a bit of a plan. But um, I've got so much running I want to do. The other way is to get in touch with me is just to email me. I don't mind giving my email out. It's 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 nick at nickbutter.co.uk. Um, and people can email me if they want any running advice, if they want to get involved in the charities that I'm involved with. Um, we have our own foundation, which I set up off the back of running the world which is called the 196 foundation uh and so people can support that and we deliver projects all over the world um and i suppose the other the other simple way is just to come and run with me somewhere (laughs) you know whenever that may be if you want to come and run in the uk or in new zealand or wherever i may be and i'll obviously be coming back to india as well so perhaps we can chat raj and uh and organize some form of run but yeah i'm the more the merrier i'm pretty laid back so yeah get in touch and and we can chat oh absolutely i'm sure uh you know we we can put together uh, uh, a very good number of people who would be interested in in joining yeah. for uh, some, such a run uh because uh, just like i guess uh, many parts of the world people who run supporting charities are uh, you know quite a few in India. So absolutely, yeah. we will be in touch. Uh, Nick will be uh, absolutely okay. our honor and our privilege. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, and, uh, you know, wish you all the very best uh, with all your new endeavors, new adventures. Uh, and uh, thank you for being such an inspiration to all of us around the world. No, Raj, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And, uh, you know, I can talk about my my stories and my adventures through your platform. So I'm very grateful for you. And uh, thank you for everybody that's listened. I hope um, everybody can get out there and do a little bit more running and follow your dreams. But um, thank you to you as well, Raj. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website, runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts, it has all the show notes, and there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show, goodbye.